Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Good evening, folks. Glad you could join us for the Big Red Bench on this Sunday evening. Rory here with you until 7 p.m. A lot to cover over the next hour and certainly a lot to discuss. Going to be keeping you up to date on Manchester United and Liverpool in the FA Cup second half. About to get underway there. Level at a goal apiece at Old Trafford. Also on the show tonight, we're going to look back on Munster's defeat to Leinster last night. An engrossing game, but Munster coming out on the wrong side of a 13-10 score. And we're going to talk to Gavin Casey of the 42.e about that. Conor McGregor beaten overnight by Dustin Poirier. Sean Sheehan of Severe MMA will join us to discuss that defeat and where McGregor goes next. And we're going to talk motorsports about Luca Allen, who raced in Japan at the end of last year and is back to Japan again later on this year. Listening to the Big Red Bench on Corks, Red FM. The second half about to get underway at Old Trafford, Manchester United won, Liverpool won in the FA Cup fourth round with the story of the first half. Peter Smith. Manchester United won, Liverpool won. There's been more quality in this encounter than the one in the Premier League seven days ago. Both sides have been inventive and creative with United crafting the clearer openings. It was Liverpool who forged ahead though was Mo Salah scored his first ever Old Trafford goal clipping the ball over the advancing Henderson after connecting with Firmino's defence spreading pass. United level with a brilliant angled shot from Mason Greenwood after he'd been located by a marvellous long pass from Rashford. It's Manchester United 1, Liverpool 1. Thoroughly enjoyable first half there at Old Trafford. A very, very enjoyable game indeed. So it's uh, going to be a close battle in the second half. We'll keep you up to date on that one as it progresses. Elsewhere, Leicester City coming from behind to defeat Brentford today. Joe Rawson. Full-time, Brentford 1, Leicester City 3. An impressive second-half turnaround means the Premier League side have avoided an upset. They were behind at the break. Maddis back Sorensen giving the Bees the lead. But two goals in five minutes turn the tie around. Kegez uh, Unders curling effort for the first and Yuri Tillemans slotting in from the penalty spot doubled the lead. James Madison added a third to well and truly seal the tie. It's Leicester who will host Brighton in the fifth round. Full time Brentford 1, Leicester City 3. Elsewhere today, Chelsea beating Luton Town 3-1. George Alderman was at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea 3, Luton 1. A comfortable win in the end for Chelsea, but not without a few nervy moments along the way. A really bad error from goalkeeper Keta Ariza Balaga, letting a shot from Jordan Clark trickle into the net. Gave Luton hope just before half-time after Tammy Abraham had given Frank Lampard's side an early 2-0 lead. But then Abraham eased any nerves with around 15 minutes left to go, completing a hat-trick from a really good team move to send Chelsea into the fifth round. Timo Werner had a chance to score from the penalty spot. He was brought down inside the box, but his drought continues. He got up and missed the spot kick. But at least it eases some pressure on boss Frank Lampard. He shouldn't face any awkward questions for today, at least. It's finished here at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea 3, Luton 1. 
So Tammy Abraham with a hat-trick today for the Blues. Uh, manager Frank Lampard, delighted with the 23-year-old. It's important to go through. Clearly, it's a competition we've had success with in the modern era and expectations are that we go through in this time. We had to get our game right and we did. Tammy gets three goals, which is great for him, great for us to keep his confidence up. Elsewhere today, Burnley beating Fulham 3-0 at Craven Cottage, booked their place in the fifth round. Bellamy hands Kevin Long among the scorers, as well as two from Jay Rodriguez. At 8 o'clock tonight, Everton hosting Sheffield Wednesday. In Scotland, in the League Cup semi-final, Livingston are currently in action against St Mirren. In fact, it's almost close to a time up there in that semi-final clash uh, this afternoon. Plenty of Cork interest in that as well, because Cork's uh, Conor McCarthy... Uh, starting for St Mirren today former Cove Ramblers starter Cartman Jay Scabia on the bench for Livingston and uh, we're going to speak to Jays on next weekend's show uh, but it has finished in a 1-0 win for Livingston today they will now go on to face St Johnston in the final we defeated Hibs by three goals to nil yesterday at Hamden but yeah we'll be speaking to Jays on uh, next week's show Elsewhere, Cork's Roy Donovan scored his 50th uh, goal in the AFL earlier on today. The former Cork's initial striker scoring the second as Newcastle just defeated Wellington by two goals to one. Roy McElroy relinquishing a one-shot overnight leader. The Abu Dhabi Championship to finish third, five shots behind the winner Terrell Hatton. McElroy carried in a final run of 72 for a 13 under par finished up Project Harrington shot a final on a 73 to finish up on 3 over par McElroy though says he's in a better frame of mind now heading into the Farmers Insurance Open which starts on Thursday I don't feel like I played great this week I was sort of managing my game a little bit so there's still you know it's nice to get a, a competitive week under my belt and know where my game is and see what I have to do to, to try to keep on improving and you know thankfully I'll get on the plane tonight and head over to Torrey Pines and tee it up there next week and Terrell Hatton uh, kicking off his bid to make Europe's Ryder Cup uh, team in style. And he says, uh, winning today, a big achievement for him. Surreal, to be honest. Even there, like knocking the putt in on 18 doesn't kind of seem that I've like won the tournament. It's amazing. I've always loved starting my season here in Abu Dhabi. And to now add my name on that trophy um, with so many great champions before me is, uh, is a huge honour. Second half has just kicked off at Old Trafford. Manchester United won Liverpool won in that FA Cup tie. Connacht have lost to the Ospreys 26 points to 20 in their Pro 14 game at the Sports Ground today. Alex Wooden and Paul Boyle going over the line for Andy Friend's side. In cricket, Afghanistan have beaten Ireland in back-to-back matches in their three-match one-day international series in Abu Dhabi. They won by seven wickets with 28 balls remaining after Ireland won the toss and chose to bat first, setting a target at 260. So that means Afghanistan win the series 2-0 with a match left to play on Tuesday. And with the World Cup qualifying points still on the line as well, so still an important game. Paul Sterling scored a century in the defeat to overtake William Porterfield, becoming Ireland's all-time leading run scorer across all formats. And in the NFL tonight, the conference championship game is taking place. First up, the NFC championship clash as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers face the Green Bay Packers. That's at five past eight Irish time. It's followed by the meeting of the AFC championships uh, Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. That kicks off at twenty-two twelve. Right, we are going to start with rugby and look back on Munster's defeat to Leinster last night. Thirteen to ten was how it finished. Tyke Byrne uh, named the player of the match, standing up on the losing side. Enthralling stuff at Tolman Park, I have to say. I'm going to talk to Gavin Casey of the Forty Two E shortly. First up, we'll hear from both head coaches, Munster's Johan van Graal and first Leinster's Leo Cullen, speaking to Air Sport. It took us a while to settle into the game. Really, I, I don't know when 
uh, when we see the snow showers before the game does it um, take our attention away so I, I thought we had a slow start into the game um, you know we don't deal particularly well with some of the aerial challenge that, that came our way um, at different stages during the game and gave Munster a lot of access and territory um, you know even the the line that they played at the start and you know we're we only really then kick into gear we're 10 points down so um, yeah I thought you know huge credit to the guys in terms of the way they fought their way back into the game and you know there was some big moments in the game you know I, I thought we had a, a lot of pressure there was you know down that end around just around the half hour mark where we, we had that sustained pressure but didn't actually come away with anything um, and then again the second half where we just sustained pressure down here as well uh, where we didn't come, come away with anything again so um, thankfully those moments didn't come back to haunt us um, and I thought the players held their nerve well and the bench came on and added some good energy as well so yeah overall we're pleased to get a win but yeah, it was, it was a far from perfect performance so um, plenty for us to work on um, ahead of next week so we've another huge game next week as well um, yeah we, we know that there's you know, as we talked before and there's so much at stake on these games so um, and the, the guys were collectively strong together which is pleasing um, always a tough place to come here I know it'll be even tougher with the 26,500 supporters yelling off the terraces there um, but you know credit to the guys you know after a really poor start I think it's fair to say um, they stuck at the task well and they dug in and stayed in the game and um, yeah no it's a credit to the spirit amongst the group there Just before the end of the first half there JJ's kick hitting the post uh, how big a moment was that and how much did that help the team talk at half time as well? Um, well there's probably a few of those moments like because you know even as I said like that, that moment where we have that sustained pressure we have a couple of scrums we go to the corner off a penalty after turning down the three you know and we looked we looked you know like we were we were gearing up ready to go there at that point but then when they come up with a turnover we don't quite deal with the rook threat same in the second half as you say like that moment on half time but you know it swings it swings both ways so um, and that's just the, the nature of the game so it's making sure we keep sticking in there we're very, Munster is a, they're a very very good team um, lots of good players it means a lot to them as well playing here so um, as I said overall you know there's lots of those moments in the game Oh look uh, players gave it every everything out there a lot of work rate effort and belief small margins uh, that ball hits the post uh, on the stroke of half time and uh, you know uh, we, we didn't convert that opportunity Um no, and credit to them. Special try. One of our guys slipped, and and uh, the bounce goes goes their way. A very fiercely contested uh, Irish interpro. Tyburn mentioned just just speaking of that try, and there was a few calls from the Munster line over in this side that they felt that the throw from the lineout was crooked. Would you share those views? Uh, look, um, the referee's got the final call. Looking at this, you mentioned the relentless work rate. That is something you must be proud of, of your Munster team. I mean, there's two amazing turnovers right in the try line as well. Yes, it didn't come off at the end in terms of the result, but in terms of that work rate, that, that's a huge positive. Yeah, look, uh, that's a non-negotiable in our team. Uh, no, we, we came up against the, the, the champions tonight um, and, you know, we are, we are literally a penalty away, um, which is incredibly frustrating. Uh, a lot of hurt in, in the change room. Like I said, uh, if, you, if you put your whole heart into it, and that's exactly what we did, and look, we came up short. Obviously, a, a demoralising loss, and I'm sure your heads will be dropping in the changing. How difficult will it be to, to kind of lift the team after a result like this? No, I wouldn't say demoralising. It's another game in our season. Uh, you know, we we obviously didn't come here to lose, but uh, we got a bonus point. Like I said earlier, it's, uh, this isn't the semi-final or a final. Uh, we 
we hate to lose, uh, but we were, like I said, one moment short of, uh, of a victory tonight. And fair play to Leinster uh, to come out here and, and beat us. And uh, look, uh, the national lads will leave us now on, on Monday. And, um, you know, we'll only see them on the backside of, of March. And, uh, you know, we've got to review this game like we do every week. Uh, get up on Monday morning and go uh, again. We've got a game against Treviso next uh, Saturday in Italy. All right, that was Leo Cullen and Johan van Grand speaking after Leinster's win over Munster last night at home in Park. For more on it, I'm joined by our friend Gavin Casey of the 42.ie. Gavin, how are you, sir? Very well, thanks, Rory. How are you? Good, good. Thanks, million, for coming on first off. Um, I really enjoyed that match last night despite the result. Um, how did you think of it? Yeah, it was fairly electrifying. It's funny watching it, like the dynamic is kind of strange, obviously, without fans there. I, I'm still not really used to that in most when I'm watching most sports, but I think it's particularly glaring um, the absence of fans when you have a game and as physically intense as that one where the collisions are just uh, through the roof and uh, I suppose you're really just hearing the force of the tackles and hearing the force of, uh, of players coming together and usually there'd be 26,500 people absolutely roaring monster on in that type of situation. They might have made a difference as well last night, you never know, but... Um, there, there definitely still is a bit of an eerie feeling about it. That said, though, like once I was able to sort of park that uh, that lack of a crowd, I, I thought it was a really engaging uh, match. You know, I, I understand if a few people afterwards maybe didn't find it like the most entertaining game of all time, but I, I sometimes wonder what do people expect at this in this day and age? You know, like rugby is a little bit different, or it looks a little bit different to what it used to 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's not quite. Uh, like teams aren't playing like the Barbarians so much anymore and, and flinging the ball around it is um, a lot more about meticulous preparation strike plays off set plays and so on and um, so by modern standards I thought yeah fascinating game uh, an absolute soccer punch for Munster at the end to concede in the manner in which they did and um, particularly given they had sort of forced their way into a position of control on the match which they haven't found themselves in against Leinster in recent years but as much as a lot of Munster fans afterwards, uh, I saw online and even chatting to a few people involved and, and uh, Janet, to friends of mine as well from Cork and elsewhere, um, they kind of felt as though like it was same old, same old to a lot of them in a way, just in the, I guess, close defeat and Leinster just kind of having enough in the tank to, to beat them. I felt it was a really different type of Munster-Leinster game. I actually thought they were notable signs of progression in Munster's game and they looked a lot closer to where they need to get to to beat Leinster last night to meet than they did at the Pro 14 semi-final a few months ago uh, or than they have in recent games against Leinster. It was um, a terrific score from Leinster um, to, to win the match. That set piece was absolutely fantastic. Um, let's call it a spade a spade. It was a fantastic score. The big question though, the throw from Ronan Kelleher was never straight, was it? <laughs> yeah, in football parlance, you'd say you've seen them given, like, you know, <laughs> seen them penalised. Uh, I, I think it looked oddly enough, but at the same time, you know, where we like it, it, so often they're let go, and it, it feels like such a, a minor infringement. It's almost like again to bring it back to football. How often do you see a guy do a foul throw, and the ref just couldn't be arsed blowing it up? You know that sort of way, and and it did feel as though. It felt as though it was borderline to the point that you could just about just let play continue. And listen, I don't think Munster uh, are going to be pointing towards that line-out throw and the trajectory of it and, and uh, blaming it for anything because 
ultimately play goes on and they have every opportunity to snuff out and stop what transpires. Brilliant score, brilliantly crafted score by Leinster. You know, interestingly enough, Johnny Sexton going off with a hamstring injury and being replaced by Ross Byrne allowed Leinster to be able to open the game up. I thought Byrne played better than Sexton had been playing and it's his little, beautiful, deft little chip through. I think it might hit a leg on the way, but it bounces kindly into Leinster arms and it winds up with uh, Jordan Armour going over for, to be honest, what felt like it was going to be the decisive score because of the pattern of the match. You had Munster knocking on the door and controlling a lot of possession in that second half, but not quite making... um, like they were making inroads in terms of territory, but they weren't necessarily uh, opening the game up or really firing too many shots out wide or anything. It was, again, quite meticulous and ultimately Leinster just had enough to hold them out a couple of times. And when the game had been uh, transpiring in that manner for, I suppose we're talking 28, 29 minutes of the second half, even though there were 13 or so minutes left uh, when Leinster scored, it kind of felt impossible for Munster to get back into it. And um, and so it proved. And again, I know people were a little bit disappointed to see Munster uh, sort of uh, revert to box kicking from nine, even when they were chasing the game. Um, Craig Casey came on, young, young uh, scrum half from Limerick, brilliant player, probably going to be an international, maybe even within this uh, upcoming Six Nations. And probably... Um, you know, you could argue kick the ball a little bit too much from nine and also a couple of those kicks went that little bit too far where Munster couldn't get a, a proper chase under them. But the problem for them was they you can't just snap your fingers and sort of like change your game plan with twelve minutes to go when bodies are tired, lads are uh lads are, are breathing heavily. They've been in sixty seven, sixty eight minutes of physical warfare to expect them to kind of turn into the Harlem Globetrotters at that point. It's just unrealistic, you know. So they tried to basically regain territory the way they had been doing, um, but ultimately probably didn't execute it as well in that last 12, 13 minutes as they had been doing earlier in the game. So, um, look, for Munster and for Johan van Graan, there were definitely missed chances. Like the elephant in the room here is that if JJ Andrew scores his penalty on the uh, cost of half time, that's a six-point swing because what actually happened in reality is that hits the post. Leinster go back up the field, get a penalty of their own and are able to chip away at Munster's lead. Uh, and Hanron has a, a far worse miss on the other side of halftime, which, you know, you're talking about tiny margins uh, in these games and Munster can't afford, they know this, they can't afford to leave points on the board against Leinster. No team really can. And ultimately, Munster didn't score for the last 68 minutes with those two missed kicks. Uh, and you're not going to beat Leinster when you're not scoring for the majority of the match. Like it's, uh, it sounds pretty simple, and and they'll know it as well. There's no point in um, in ramming the point home necessarily. But what does it come down to? It comes down to a couple of botched lineouts and just a few small things going wrong. Those are enough to decide a game against a team as good as Leinster. As you say, plenty of positives as well to take from the game from a month's perspective. Uh, Ty Burns, certainly one of those player of the match last night. Cracking try. Some amazing defensive work from him as well last night. He was incredible. He was unbelievable. He's probably the form player in Ireland now going into the Six Nations. And as you say, definite positives to take. Right? Like If you looked at even the most recent Pro 14 semi-final between the two teams, uh, I'd say a lot of Monster fans uh, and their players and management's gripes afterwards were in relation to Munster's inability to match Leinster physically. And 
that's been a problem for them really against Leinster for the last, easily in the last three or four years, where Leinster have just sort of gained a, a physical ascendancy that uh, it, it, it's very difficult for Munster to be able to turn around in the middle of a match. And they kind of, early doors, they sort of get shunted backwards and just psychologically it sets in the likelihood that they're going to be dominated by their opposition. And it's a difficult thing to come back from. Whereas in this game yesterday, uh, Munster were more than a match for Leinster physically for the first time, I'd say in a long time. And that's a massive thing for them. Like the chances are, like there's every chance they're going to meet in the, in the uh, more decisive stages of the Pro 14 in a couple of months' time. And for Munster to even check that off their list, to have gained a kind of a physical parity with Leinster and at times looked even physically superior in certain areas, particularly Byrne, to be honest, in that he was able to, like there were a couple of jackal turnovers he had at absolutely key junctures, but also he was carrying fairly ferociously as were the likes of Gavin Coombs and, and others. That's a, a massive kind of... Um, I'd say like psychological milestone for that team. And, you know, again, I understand how most of the fans would be disappointed that the game kind of slipped away from them last night. But if you were looking at uh, ever potentially overthrowing this sort of Leinster dynasty, it's not going to be done in one night. It's going to be a few games like those. Um, and quite often a team has to, there's a kind of a rite of passage in a way where you, you nearly have to take your licks to a certain extent over a couple of games and eventually you turn the tide. I don't think Munster were kind of getting close enough to do that in, in recent games against Leinster. Last night's one was the first one to me that struck me as a clear enough sign of progression in that they were able to match Leinster in areas in which they hadn't matched them previously. Ultimately, they weren't able to put together the, the required performance to actually win the game, but um, there were enough green shoots there to suggest that when they meet again uh, in the knockout stages this year and again next season like that, the gap is, is closing to the point that it's barely perceptible Just looking at last night's game as a whole then and I suppose looking at the bigger picture of the Six Nations coming up but last night's performance from both sides kind of give you confidence heading into the Six Nations? <laughs> not really and that's, it's actually not an indictment on the, the performances of both teams last night it's just I suppose we didn't see a huge amount uh, different to what we've seen say in advance of uh, the previous Six Nations or even the World Cup in 2019. I guess, to be fair, you have players like Byrne uh, who are in superb form and, listen, when Byrne is firing at all cylinders, we kind of know that he can be incredibly influential at provincial level or like European level in the club game. Playing for Munster, it is a different kettle of fish uh, reproducing that sort of form at test level. Like, it, there is a step up there and just due to, I guess, um, so maybe a, a tiny uh, lack of size for his position. Burn sometimes isn't quite so effective for Ireland. Um, but yeah, looking around, like there are enough. I suppose there are enough informed players for both teams, particularly the likes of, um, say, Peter Romani, who has been in sensational form now for the last sort of nine, ten months, uh, to suggest that uh, Andy Farrell will be happy and and, uh, and and probably anticipating doing something pretty pretty decent with this Ireland team going to the Six Nations but I suppose more conservatively more so <clears throat> excuse me we um, when you look at the Ireland squad and uh, like well sorry their probable squad their probable match day 23 it so closely resembles the squad of basically 2018 2019 and last year there, there hasn't been a, a great deal of turnover in players despite the fact that after the World Cup 
everybody found themselves almost looking forward to a transition in which younger players would be blooded, the likes of John Cooney would finally get a go at scrum half and so on. And uh, and it just, that just hasn't really materialised and that's not an indictment on the coaching. It's it's, it's It probably is more so a testament to the experienced guys who didn't have a good World Cup actually putting their hands up again, starting to perform at provincial level and basically hanging on to their jerseys through that form and, and being able to uh, perform capably for Ireland. But uh, to answer your question about whether whether or not I'd be enthused based on last night or, or excited, probably not. I'll, I'll have to wait and see, uh, leave it play out a little bit more. But it, it feels a little bit same old, same old to me in, in uh, Irish terms, looking at the Ireland team. But for Munster, uh, it definitely feels like they're on the precipice of, uh, I, I guess, of making that breakthrough themselves, of actually turning the corner a little bit after what's been a disappointing few years and really when you think about it a disappointing decade or more in which Leinster have been this, this dominant force in Irish provincial rugby and um, I think Munster are getting there for sure Johan van Grand doing a fantastic job cuts a very very calm figure uh, both before matches and afterwards but the job he's doing with the Reds has been, uh, has been excellent He's been under fire as well I think um, the biggest testament you could pay to van Grand is that Almost similarly to what Leo Cullen did at Leinster uh, three years ago now, whereby his first season didn't quite go as planned, he was humble enough to bring in somebody with that little bit more uh, coaching experience or, or somebody who would add to his coaching ticket significantly in Stuart Lancaster. And now when we speak about Leinster, we, we speak about them almost as co-managers, if you like. And what I think what Van Grand did was similar. Like he... I think stuck fairly rigidly, fairly steadfastly to what was his own game plan for their first couple of seasons, a very South African style of rugby, um, you know, incredibly uh, physical, but not necessarily the most creative or expressive brand of rugby. And Monster came up short ultimately in semi-finals as they have been doing. And it felt as though you're, you're on the verge nearly of practicing insanity in that definition of doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. But what Van Grant actually did was, um, upon the departures of Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones, which, to be honest, may have had something to do with uh, Van Grant's original kind of mindset and, um, and lack of flexibility, uh, he, he turned to somebody, uh, two people in Stephen Larkin and Graham Rowntree, who have bags of experience, who are incredibly highly regarded, who he knew, to be fair, when they arrived were going to be uh, forceful personalities with whom he would have to share uh, the dressing room, if you like, and that they were going to be probably more influential than a typical young coach that you bring out, bring in at your side. And speaking of people at Munster, Larkin in particular, I think has been given the keys to the castle a little bit. He, he's allowed to um, implement his own game plan uh, to the point that they can play more expansively, play more expressively. We saw it work out uh, to superb success in Clermont a few weeks ago and it's been working out in the Pro 14 generally speaking as well so I think what Van Grand has done extremely well is actually almost taking a step back himself to some degree or at least um, he doesn't feel necessarily so much that he has to control everything anymore he's happy to delegate and Monster is starting to reap the rewards of that and it, to be honest for him as well it, it probably makes the job that little bit more tolerable um, uh, so I, I, absolutely he's doing a very good job but I think he, what's allowing him to do a very good job is the fact that he was humble enough to um, 
accept that he probably needed a bit of a hand and to draft in these, uh, and credit to Monsters Board and so on as well, but for drafting in the, these incredibly high-caliber coaches who clearly are doing a, a very good job on either side of Van Graan. Excellent, Gav. We'll leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us uh, this evening on the Big Red Bench and I know that we'll chat you soon. Cheers, Rory. Yes, Gavin Casey there of the 42.ie talking us through uh, Munster's defeat to Leinster last night. A game I thoroughly enjoyed despite the result and uh, heading into Six Nations. Time now two weeks now ahead of the opening game. Uh, so it's going to be a very, very busy time uh, rugby-wise over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, Manchester United and Liverpool now two apiece at Old Trafford. Marcus Rashford had but United a, a two and up just a couple of minutes after half time but then Mohamed Salah equalising his second goal of the game his second assist by Roberto Firmino as well uh, so it's all to play for there at Old Trafford 68 minutes there on the clock in that cup so of course has to be finished on the night so we could be looking at extra time and penalties still to come on the show going to talk motorsport with Luke Allen and we're going to talk about uh, McGregor's defeat to Poirier with uh, Sean Sheen of Severe MMA next Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. Roy here with you until 7pm this evening. Just back to Old Trafford and uh, Peter Smith watching Man United Liverpool. It's Manchester United 2, Liverpool 2. Mo Salah scoring his second goal of the game. United were trying to play a fancy goal kick out from the back, got corner possession. Three passes later, Salah fired in from 10 yards. It's Manchester United 2, Liverpool 2. Yeah, call me old fashioned, but I'm not a fan of players being inside their own box uh, for goal kicks. It just seems to be inviting pressure and uh, can cause mistakes like it did there for Liverpool's second goal this evening at Old Trafford but there's still 20 minutes on the clock there in that game we'll keep you up to date on that one alright Dustin Poirier beating Conor McGregor last night um, in spectacular fashion TKO second round uh, made easy work of uh, the finish um, worked very very hard uh, to get to that position as well worked very very hard on McGregor's leg who McGregor could barely walk by uh, the end of that but um, a fantastic win for Dustin Poirier and a bit of a shock as uh, many had tipped Conor McGregor to win handily enough last night we're going to talk to Sean Sheehan of SevereMMA.com on that but first we're going to hear from McGregor Poirier and UFC President Dana White it's the whole shebang you know what I mean but uh, I have no excuses here it was a phenomenal performance by Dustin. Um, and that's it, you know. Uh, I don't know what, what to say. I'm going to go back, I'm going to chill out, I'm just going to watch the full fight and get a better grasp on it. But the leg was compromised and I was rushing the shots a little bit and, you know, I didn't adjust. And that's, that's that, you know, it's a, it's a bitter, bitter pill to swallow. And... I don't even know whether I'm that upset. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't. <clears throat> I don't know what to say. You know. It's definitely. I mean, it's up there. Um, beating Max, getting that interim belt, knocking out Connor on a pay-per-view main event. It's up there for sure. I'm happy, man. All the discussion kind of coming into this was like about your mental check, you know, and it wasn't going to be a difficult mental battle versus necessarily just, you know, tactics and that sort of things. Was this a, a tough mental test to get in there that first minute and put all that behind? I wasn't even thinking about the first fight, honestly. Um, but every fight's a mental test. You know, this stuff is scary, and you have anxiety in the locker room and the week of the fight. More so this one, man. Like, training camp, I, I, all that stuff, I gets, it gets blocked out. That's all noise to me. But this freaking thing, dude, I'm sitting in a hotel for two weeks on Fight Island with nothing to do but think about the fight. You know, it's, uh, 
but uh, like Connor said, I, I've got a lot of experience in this game, and and like I've said, I just don't care anymore what, what anyone thinks, so it's whatever. I think it'll make them hungry. I think it'll make them hungrier. Um, there's two ways this goes. Hungrier or I'm done. He's got the money. I mean, when you think about it, I'm a huge Rocky fan. This is like Rocky Three. okay? When you get off a 310-foot yacht, you know what I mean? You're living that good life. It's tough to be a savage, you know, when you're living like he lives and has the money that he has. You know, on, on his way up, he was a young, hungry kid, didn't have any money, and he wanted nice things. He wanted nice suits, nice cars, nice houses. He's got everything he ever wanted, you know? Um, so I don't know. It goes this way or that way. Yep. And I don't want to sour your mood, but Habib has responded to your loss on Twitter. He says, uh, this is what he wrote. He goes, this is what happened when you changed your team, leaving the sparring partners who made you a champion and sparring with little kids far away from reality. Uh, do you have a response to that at all? My team has been the team since day one. I've not changed any team. Um, it is what it is, you know. Respect the athletes, and that's, that's, that's the character of the man for sure behind the mask and uh, whatever what's he want to do does he want to come back or no because he's not throwing no leg kicks you know what I mean I, I, I got up off Dustin I got up off the, off the ground against Dustin I torn Dustin you know what I mean look at little pockets of that sequence where he's fights like I said styles make fights every fight is a different fight that's why all this prestige and all that people try and like hold on to why don't hold on to that you know what I mean whether someone has multiple wins or multiple losses you know what I mean? Every fight between every man is different. And that's it. Dustin Stoyle just played into it today and he, he got, you know, he has the durability, he has experience and he, and he has that leg kick now in his arsenal and I'll adjust and keep going. So, but if he wants to have his disrespectful comments, come back and let's go again, my man. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah, so Dana did say it's not. That's fighting talk. So if he's not, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're, if you come on back, come back. You try and do it. You know what I mean? So that's that. All right, we just heard from Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor along with Dana White there. And for more on it, joined by our good friend Sean Sheehan of Severe MMA. Sean, how are you, sir? I'm not too bad. No, not too bad. Obviously a big night last night. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, the, the fallout will be starting now over the next week. So, um, it's always bad when Conor McGregor's involved. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, look, this is only one place to start. Dustin Poirier um, knocking him out in the second round. And got to say, a fully deserved win for the Diamond. Yeah, of course, 100%. I, I think... Uh, the way he beat McGregor was, you know, I, I tweeted out before the fight, there was no excuses. Both lads came in, there's a full camp, they looked calm, you know, they, there was no there was no smack talk or anything during the week and Dustin Poirier came out and he, he put his game plan in place, you know, he came out and he kicked the leg of McGregor early, he took him down. Uh, he controlled him against the fence, although McGregor did well at times. No, no, McGregor won the first round. He he landed the better shots and things like that. But I think Poirier kind of put in place with that game plan, you know, a, a way to beat McGregor. He, he he really took advantage, I think, of the deficiencies in McGregor's game plan. Uh, and it was absolutely fully deserved. Went into the second round. 
probably kick the leg even further. McGregor already, I think, you know, maybe it's a little bit overplayed how much the leg kick actually did because McGregor was already playing a non-movement kind of game, very much a boxing style, uh, which left him wide open to Poirier's kick. Uh, and then by the time he kind of McGregor was totally unmoved uh, or unable to move even because of, of the kick, he was just a sitting duck for Poirier, who is one of the people maybe don't realize it, but one of the best power punchers uh, in the division. Uh, and he knocked him down with a beautiful right hook and, and knocked him out uh, soon after. So McGregor, obviously, you know, one of the best strikers we've seen in MMA, went over to boxing and won a couple of rounds against Floyd Mayweather. <laughs> so that's how, how good his, his boxing can be. And, and Poirier, uh, in the second round, outboxed him uh, and outstruck him in terms of kickboxing as well. So an absolutely fantastic display by Poirier. Why? Like, I'm watching that fight and I'm seeing Poirier kick the calf a couple of times. I'm like, McGregor has to adjust here, either shorten stance or do something different because that is going to take a lot out of him. I mean, mm-hmm. Why is McGregor not changing his approach at that point? Why is John Cavanaugh not screaming at him not to change his approach? Because John Cavanaugh has got to see this and say, look, this is going to take it out of him. Mm-hmm. No, I, I suppose that's the, the question. The, I'm watching myself and even watching it from second one before the calf is even kicked. I'm like, what's McGregor doing with this approach? McGregor's, to me, what made McGregor a great fighter was his elusiveness, was his movement, was his ability to spring in and spring out and hit and not get it. You know, exactly what you want to do uh, in mixed martial arts. Last night he was a sitting duck. He sat there in the pocket, you know, traded hands and just took shot after shot after shot. It was a bizarre game plan. A game plan which absolutely didn't work, which is, if you're a McGregor fan, I think it's, it's a little bit worrying in one way in terms of like, he, you, what, to me, another thing that made McGregor great was his mind, you know, his ability mm. to read fights, his ability to be honest about his own game, yeah. uh, and, and realize what the other person was like as well, and, you know, his ability to adjust. But last night he seemed, he seemed like his his game plan wasn't an honest one. It seemed like he had no respect at all for Poirier. Was going in, was expecting to take every shot Poirier through and knock him out in seconds. Uh, and when that didn't go well, there was no adjustment. You know, this was the fight he was going to fight, and that was it. So, like, the t- and the second point I suppose about that is if you were a fan of McGregor as well, and you think maybe they'll fight again, he does have the ability to change that. You know, his whole game. From you know the, when he got into the UFC to maybe you know the the Jose Aldo fight maybe a little bit after as well is a style that can beat exactly what Poirier did last night. It'll take away the leg kick uh, a lot. No, he might kick the leg a little bit, but it'll take away the leg kick as much as it did last night. So uh, it's it's that's just what's a very frustrating thing. McGregor has the style to alleviate that, but he just never showed up with that style last night. Yeah, as you said, he came out in that big wide boxing stance. He went and fought Floyd Mayweather, won a couple of rounds against him. Is he overconfident in his boxing? Does he think he's a far better boxer than he is now? Uh, It's a tough one. The problem with, uh, you know, saying how good of a boxer someone is, McGregor is absolutely a very good boxer. But if you go into a mixed martial arts fight, and just box, it's not going to work for you. You know, you can't go in there. Like, let's say, you know, 
whoever the best boxer in the world is now, Canelo Alvarez, he goes in there against any MMA fighter. They're going to absolutely chew him up. You know, they, they're, going, they're going to beat him without throwing a punch because they're just going to kick his leg or take him down, whatever it might be. A box, boxing approach in mixed martial arts absolutely doesn't work. It's, it's, it's too static. It's too uh, open as exactly as we saw last night uh, to kicks like the, the MMA these days is all about two things uh, and you know whichever one you want to do is, is better it's either output where you go forward like Max Holloway did last week I'm sure a lot of people saw where you land shot after shot after shot or you be elusive and land big shots and knock people down and knock people out that's what McGregor was was great at, you know, and from a striking point of view, obviously, you know, there's the jiu-jitsu and, and the, the wrestling as well, which McGregor wouldn't be uh, as, uh, you know, as uh, adept at or uh, as willing to go out and game plan towards. So, to, to me, you know, that boxing style is great at points in MMA. You know, if McGregor has him against the cage and he throws his lovely boxing, uh, you know, techniques and he has his boxing stance, but the second you kind of get wide in the uh, in the open, you have to move those legs. You have to be uh, loose on your feet. You have to be in and out and fight a further distance than a boxing fight would be. So I think I don't think it's necessarily his boxing is bad or his boxing is overrated. It's just that it's it's being used in the wrong way for a mixed martial arts fight. Khabib straight in afterwards saying uh, on Twitter this is what happens when you change your team leave the sparring partners who made you a champion and sparring with little kids far away from reality how true is that statement? I don't think it's true at all to be honest it's weird I think maybe yeah. the opposite is actually true so I'm not sure what, what, what that, that's about like I think one criticism last night a lot of people had uh, after the fight uh, online and things is that McGregor has stuck with his team, you know, that he's stuck with the tra- same training partners. <laughs> that, you know, so I, I think, I don't know what Khabib was, was referring to there, maybe, the fact that, you know, Poirier did that. Poirier left his initial team and went and trained with other people. And maybe, I don't know why, I honestly don't know. It's a very odd, like McGregor has been with John Kavanaugh uh, for his whole career. He's... Uh, back with Phil Sutcliffe, who was his box, original boxing coach. So, and, and you know, he's training with Keen Cowley, who he's been training for with, with his whole career. So, it's uh, yeah, it, it's a bit of a baffling one. <laughs> you know, whether McGregor should go and train with Eugene Berman or train ATT or train in AKA, which obviously Habib teams are probably going to be that one. But uh, it's uh, you know, it, it's it, that's the kind of a question a lot of people yeah. are asking now, and whether that happens, it's. It's, uh, it's uh, one we'll have to see. Well, is it Khabib trying to pick a fight, though? Because McGregor in the post-fight press conference said he'd be open to it. Uh, I don't know. Now, at this stage, it, that fight can't happen now. You know, McGregor coming off of that loss. Uh, Habib says he's retired. And, you know, Dana White came out last night and basically said, you know, Habib said again that he's retired. And Dana White would love Habib to fight because he's a, a big draw for him as well. So, you know, and that... Look, me being a skeptic, I think Habib will be back. I don't believe any MMA retirement because nobody really retires in MMA. Uh, and if McGregor gets a sniff of a win and uh, gets back in there, I think the fight against Habib will happen again because that was the biggest fight ever in UFC history in terms of drawing money. Uh, and the second one would probably be even bigger. Um, look, McGregor is still still has the draw. You know, okay, maybe come back to me in, in uh, a year and he's two more losses. Maybe he isn't as big of a draw then, but it, you know, he still has huge, ma- huge matchups. 
he's beaten Poirier once before, so that trilogy is automatically there after last night. Uh, himself and Nate Diaz are one and one, so that trilogy is automatically there as well. And there are plenty of other fights. Dan Hooker lost last night. Even Michael Chandler winning last night. Tony Ferguson and Conor McGregor have gone back and forth for years and years. Uh, you know, Max Holloway even. There's, there's still lots of fights there for McGregor. Uh, if he wants to take them, you know, and I, I'm not sure if, if he does or not, I, mean, I suppose we'll see, but he, he tweeted, uh, last night after his press conference that, uh, you know, he basically, uh, said that he wants the trilogy kind of now, uh, and, and the Poirier fight is, is the one he wants, wants next. And you know, for me, actually, the, the Poirier fight would be a good fight to take next, I think, because the adjustments are right there. McGregor said in the press conference, I need my bounce back, which is exactly what he does need. Uh, and I think McGregor's one of these guys, say what you want about him, but he he's one of the best people in the world at immediately uh, analysing what went wrong in his fight and being able to adjust it for the next one. Uh, and I think he did, in fairness to him now, it was a bad performance. I think it was a, the worst performance of his career, but he immediately analysed it and realised what went wrong. So in the rematch, it could be different, but take nothing away from Poirier, absolutely. And as for, yeah, as for Poirier, he has to be in title, uh, title shot contention now, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, absolutely. The thing with Poirier, though, was funny last night in, in his press conference, he was talking about, like, you know, I'm not going to fight anyone for the title. Ch- uh, Michael Chandler won last night, and he point-blank refused to fight him. He's like, they can, you know, give someone else a title. And the reason Poirier is doing that is last uh, year, during the in the middle of the year, he was uh, due to fight Tony Ferguson. He said, look, I'll fight him, but I want more money. Uh, and Tony Ferguson said, "Look, let's let's do the same. Let's. Uh, I want more money as well. If that if Poirier wants more money, and we're both going to sit out, and they moved on, they cancelled the fight. The UFC said, "No, we don't respect you enough. We're not going to pay you more money. We'll move on with other fights." And Poirier hasn't forgotten that, and he's not going to play up to the UFC. He he runs his own foundation. He's a really charitable guy. Conor McGregor donated five hundred thousand to that uh, this week. He has a new hot sauce company as well, which I'm sure will will help. So Dustin Poirier is in a great position now with the UFC. He's a win over Conor McGregor. He has um, two wins in a row after losing to Habib Nurmagomedov. With Habib gone, I think everyone would almost acknowledge that Dustin Poirier at the moment is the best lightweight uh, in the UFC, seeing as Tony Ferguson has just lost, Justin Gaethje has just lost, Michael Chandler has only one win in the UFC, and I suppose Charles Oliveira is there as well. So if there is a title fight, I think it makes sense that it's Charles Oliveira versus Dustin Poirier, but, you know, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was Dustin Poirier versus Conor McGregor, uh, because both guys alluded to wanting to fight in the trilogy and want to have that big fight again, and for Poirier, there is no bigger fight than McGregor. Poirier fights for the title and it's Oliveira or Chandler next. It's not going to draw half as big as a McGregor fight. So if I'm Poirier, <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to, to beat Conor McGregor again, you know. Do it twice, win the belt, earn yourself lots of money. It's the perfect scenario for Poirier, honestly. Mm. Excellent. All right, Sean, thanks so much for joining us, buddy. Tell us what's going on in SevereMMA.com today. Um, there's always a lot of stuff the, the podcast is uh, coming out uh, today we'll have a lot of stuff over on patreon.com forward slash severe mail podcast all week uh, and uh, the YouTube as well so it's uh, it's non-stop in severe mail it's not just Conor McGregor it's all of, <laughs> over Irish MMA and yeah, obviously down in Cork there's a great crew of, of young fighters yeah. uh, coming through so it's uh, it's a good time for MMA all over the country but I think especially in Cork there's a lot of people there 
uh, coming through and, and uh, you know, in cage warriors and beyond as well. So it's uh, it's not just uh, it's not just Conor McGregor and Irish MMA. Even if you look up in Dublin with Ian Gary and, and James Gallagher and everyone like that, it's a it's a, a good time for uh, the emerging scene in Irish MMA, and that's what Severe MMA is. And we we continue to cover that from uh, from now on. Certainly. So, all right, Sean, buddy. Thanks for joining us. No bother at all. Thanks very much. Always thanks a pleasure. Talk to, talk to, talk to uh, Sean Sheen of SevereMMA.com um, uh, and uh, defeat for Conor McGregor last night against Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier looking very, very good indeed in that main event at UFC 257. Manchester United have gone ahead. Peter Smith. Manchester United 3, Liverpool 2, dead ball play of the very highest quality from Bruno Fernandes who took a free kick from the left of the D, a yard outside the penalty area, curling it around everybody on the outside of the wall and into the bottom corner. It's Manchester United 3, Liverpool 2. Yeah, into the last 90 seconds of normal time there at Old Trafford, Enson Cavani's just hit the post with a header. Um, it's been a very, very enjoyable game. Wouldn't say not to, uh, extra time in another half an hour of this. I'm sure the Manchester United fans listening to me now screaming no, 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 can't take that. But uh, it's been a very, very enjoyable game compared to uh, the uh, bit of a snooze fest that was their Premier League game last week. All right, we're going to talk motorsport now. And earlier on in the week, it was confirmed that Cork's Luca Allen would race again in Japan of this year. he race again for the Albrechts team in Super Formula Lights after racing with the team late last year. I spoke to Luca about the move, life in Japan, and more. Great, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. How was Christmas and all that jazz? Yeah, it was great. I was um, I was actually just home from Japan the day before on Christmas Eve, um, so it all kind of happened a bit quickly, and then kind of slowly getting back to work now. We're trying to anyway with COVID, trying to get back into the swing of things and get ready for this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what was life like outside of racing in Japan? First off, uh, it was weird. Um, it was great. Sorry, first of all, definitely. Um, but it was weird as as it was so different. Um, it's so hard to explain. Just the culture is so different. Uh, how people kind of talk to each other, how they treat each other, how they just go about their lives on a day to day basis is different. They're a lot more kind of gentle and, and polite, and uh, you never you try to never get mad at someone. You try to. It's all these kind of small things. It's just very very different. Ireland. In a sense, but I loved it. Uh, really, so I was living in a small town called Niigata, or a small town in Niigata. Mm. Um, so that was it. Was probably no more people than what would be around Shanagari. Um <laughs> So it's, but yeah, it was great. The, the racing was great out there as well, and overall, I thought it was great. Yeah. Do people speak much English over there? Or were you kind of just? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> um, I, I I expected to get around speaking kind of a few bits of English and whatever you can use your hands, and whatever. But yeah. uh, but Jesus, no, like literally no one, uh, not even a word of English. I had to. I didn't have phone data out there either, so I had to translate <laughs> a few things on my phone and then and screenshot them before I ever went out. Um, in Tokyo, it wasn't too bad. Now you you could catch a few people speaking uh, that speak a bit of English. Yeah. Uh, where I was living, like you, you literally couldn't get around. Like with, with uh, speaking Japanese, but yeah, did you pick yeah. up any Japanese when you were over there? Uh, just the basics, uh, kind of like good morning and hello and thank you, all these kind of things. But uh, nothing too complex now. The, the, the it's it's kind of like the old Japanese woman that not when you're not in that kind of way, but to be polite, you. Uh, they re- they love it when they see a foreigner speaking a bit of English and like a little a leave them in the shop or something. Yeah. If you say thank you or anything. Yeah. 
must have been an incredible culture shock then. It must have taken you quite a while to adjust. Yeah, it was kind of, it was weird at the start. Because, um, see, I was, I was expecting it to just uh, be like Malaysia or Thailand or the other place that um, I've been in the last few years. But it wasn't, it was like a whole, it was like their own little world out there in Japan. They, um, there's no foreigners uh, in Tokyo. There, there's small, but I was in Tokyo for a week. But where I was living, there's no foreigners. There's no words of English at all. There was, it was just like, uh, yeah, it was a bit, it was, it was a bit mental really at the start. But then I kind of just got, got, got into it, and and I was like, everyone's so friendly over there. So like that, that's a big mm-hmm. bonus, um, and that makes it a bit easier. Exactly. Um, yeah. And like, what was your day to day like um, when you weren't racing? Just trying to keep myself busy, really. I was um, uh, the, the the handy part was there was a high school just up the road from where I was living that I could use their gym, um, so I just woke up, whatever, used their gym, and then tried to uh, keep myself busy with emails and uh, trying to network with different people in, in Tokyo for when I went there and. Um, just kind of trying to keep myself in, and I have to cook myself a few little dishes or whatever. And, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, nothing too chaotic anyway. <laughs> Must have been um, quite isolating, though, quite lonely, was it? Um, at times, it was a bit like that in Niigata. Um, just when you haven't spoken English in so long and there's no one to talk to, or whatever. Um, you do kind of miss the feeling of just being able to roam into your kitchen and talk to your mom or your dad or your brother or whatever. Um, uh, but I mean, what the thing that was just in my head the whole time was that they always doing this for racing, so um, I couldn't, I didn't feel right complaining uh, mm-hmm. that I was that I was able to be raced yeah. in Japan. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be going out again pretty soon and. Uh, it's worth it anyway the whatever the little bit of isolation for the reason was it just lots of Netflix then in the evening as it are oh, actually not too much for Netflix man I, <laughs> uh, I just, I'm trying to think what I did to keep myself busy I went on a lot of walks and yeah. uh, listened to music and you know did my washing the the, the kind of stuff that I was doing for the first time and over there living on my own happy days um, remind us Luca like you went out there before Christmas uh, later on in the year season was kind of halfway through so you had a lot to I suppose catch up on by the time you got there yeah um, so in a way it was kind of nice uh, being out there just for the second half of the season because I didn't have to worry about championship points or um, it wasn't a f- full racing season for me so there was uh, there wasn't any pressure really it was just three races to learn the car learn the tracks uh, learn the culture learn as much as I can before I come back there next year or this year um, so yeah it was um, I mean this year I'm not sure if we'll be going for the championship this year but it'll definitely be a bit more pressure to do well and then and then the year after then says 22 hopefully go out and win the championship there Did the guys in your team speak English or was there a kind of um, a language issue there there was a few small little problems on um, on the race weekends. I remember with communication. I had a translator, um, but she was great. Like she was a lovely woman, but she was she was like she wasn't really fluent in English. So it's a bit hard. And then when tensions are high on a race weekend, and I remember there was a few little things just with setup or or tire pressures, something like that, where I wants to change or they want to change, and I didn't know what was going on. So. Um, 
but I'm um, talking to the team now and um, we're going to iron out all those mistakes now for next year and hopefully have a good year and what was the car itself like that you were driving in so this was the step up uh, to an F3 car um, from an F4 so that's why again it was handy for those experience to get into it but geez, the F3 car is like a completely different thing to the F4 car um, so much faster so much more downforce um, just everything is moving so much faster around you the weekends are more professional get as well it's another step up kind of with motorsport ladder so you feel like you, you need to do better and you're, it's just it's like a, it's a whole different ball game really uh, that's why I'm happy I got kind of a nice little introduction into it um, three rounds and yeah like as I said the downforce through the corners it's just like you feel like the car is going to flip or something because you're going <laughs> it somehow just sticks like around the corners and you're just yeah. like you're trying to process all your brain but it's great fun uh, definitely with, with the speeds and and everything like we would have some corners that would be kind of almost a 90 degree corner kind of thing and you'd be going through it at about 200 kilometers yeah. and you're just trying to your brain's trying to get kind of taking everything that's happening and <laughs> yeah, it's great fun yeah that's Luca Allen there speaking about life in Japan racing Super Formula Lights we'll have the second part of that interview on next Sunday's show we're almost out of time in fact we are pretty much out of time Manchester United have beaten Liverpool by three goals to two thoroughly enjoyable cup tied that one and it was uh, Bruno Fernandes free kick on 78 minutes the difference between the sides uh, Mason Greenwood Marcus Rashford for United two goals from uh, Mohamed Salah for Liverpool very very enjoyable cup tie and Everton Sheffield Wednesday is the last game of the day an 8pm kickoff for that one thanks very much for tuning us uh, tuning in to us uh, on this uh, Sunday evening we're back next Saturday from 6 Green and Reds up next 3 hours of the best Irish music coming your way between 7 and 10pm follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Big Red Bench and we'll be back next weekend Valerie back with you next Saturday from 6pm enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening folks and uh, sure we'll chat to you next week miss the show grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie Corks Red FM listening to your favourite podcast that's smart earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University that's really smart With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.